there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today we have two interview guests. The first is Serginho Dest of the U.S. men's national team and FC Barcelona. The second is Conmebol president Alejandro Dominguez. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Arlo White, Brian Schmetzer, and Joe Lowry, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Serginho Dest. The U.S. men's national team takes on Wales on Thursday at 2.45 p.m. Eastern on FS1, Tudeyene, and Unimas. Joining us now is Serginho Dest the 19-year-old right back for the U.S. men's national team and FC Barcelona. Serginio, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. No problem. Congratulations on joining Barcelona, which is a huge, huge achievement. But first, I want to talk about the U.S. men's national team. And this is the first USA game on a FIFA date in a year. What has it been like for you to come together with the national team again this week? It has been amazing because, you know, of the good, like the COVID situation, like it's horrible for everyone, um, especially also for us as soccer players that we like play without fans and not like representing your own country. Like for us, it was like hard because in October we didn't have a camp, in July we didn't have a camp, in September and August, like. In March last year, because we will play the Netherlands, so that will be good for me. <laughs> but yeah, it is like it's nice to come back with the boys and uh, like train again, and hopefully we will we will get a good result on uh, on Thursday against Wales. Who are some of the guys on the national team that you are closest to, and who are some of the guys that you're excited about meeting for the first time this week? I was close to like, um, let's say, all the guys that I met in the last camp, you know, November 2019. You know, we played against Canada and uh, in Cayman Islands, we played against uh, Cuba. And for the new players, like, like this is a really young team, like new generation coming up, you know, and I feel like we have some good talent, like great talent over here. Obviously, like we still have to improve, like everybody has to improve. But I feel like it's nice to meet like the younger guys too. And I know I'm also young, but I feel like it's it's important that we um, come together, like come out together and like like training with the new generation. You know, like we're all young, so in a few years, like we improve, like everybody improves, and then we'll be like, I think we will be a good country, like a real good opponent for other countries. I mean, that's one of my questions for you. There's a lot of excitement right now with USA fans about young American players like you and others going to big clubs like Barcelona, Chelsea, Juventus, Dortmund, Leipzig. We have never seen this before in the United States. What do you think that means for the potential of what this USA team could do at the World Cup. I feel like it's a bright future. So like the 2022, like we're still young, you know, and we don't have to forget about the old players, but I mean, like we're still young. So we need experience, you know, um, you know, we, we need to improve. We need to learn like some, some more things. And then I feel like 2026, like in our country, it will be, it will be like, I think you guys will be shocked. <laughs> 
So you play right back mainly at the club level. With the national team, you have played at both right back and left back. How big is the difference between the two positions? It depends who you play against. Actually, for me, like the difference, like, I don't know. I like variation, you know. So if I have to play on the left, I play on the left. If I have to play on the right, I play on the right. But for me, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. I just want to play, you know. That's the the, the biggest thing for me. So imagine if the coach said, like, you're going to play left winger today. I will play left winger, you know. It doesn't matter. I just want to go out on the pitch and try to play my own game. So you are Dutch-American, obviously, and you put yeah. a lot of thought into your decision to play for the United States instead of the Netherlands, which wanted you. Why did you decide to play for the United States? I thought like it was better for me and also because they gave me a chance in the youth. So I felt like it's a little bit like loyalty to give back to, to the U.S. And I felt like I think I, I had like more options over here. Like I could get like more chances over here. I don't know. I just I just felt like they believed in me, you know, and that, that felt good. And I think that's the main reason because... You know, obviously, every player is going to have, like, a bad time in their career. Like, they're not that good. But I feel like, I trust the U.S., like, I feel like if I'm on that moment, they will help me out with it. So how do you feel about your decision to play for the U.S. now, one year later? I do not regret. (laughs) I do not regret. I love it over here. I like the team. You know, new generation is coming up. And it's just nice to play for, for the U.S., like, one of the biggest countries in the world. It feels, it feels so good. I'm talking to you from New York City right now. You visited New York City. Uh, you have before. Could you tell me about the first time you came to New York City, when it was, and, and what did you think when you first saw New York City? First time in New York City was in 2014. Um, was at a time like in the summer, like at the time of the World Cup, but I loved it over there. I remember that I was in a shuttle bus because, you know, my, my uh, dad is from the military, so... We went to a military uh, airbase, and then from McGuire, we had to drive. I don't know where. We had to make one more stop, and then we went to New York. But I re- remember that I was in, like, a tunnel for so long, and I came <laughs> out, and I was right in the middle of the city. It was so nice. Like, my eyes were just wide open because, like, I hadn't, haven't seen something like that big in my life before you know before that age so it was for me i was just shocked you know and now last uh, winter i also visited uh, new york again i went to my uncle but um new york is just such a nice city i love it over there like the covid situation right now it's horrible over there but i feel like when everything is going well again hopefully it goes well like quickly because i think everybody wants to live the normal life again and then, um, yeah, if everything is going right, I'm facing America and New York City again because I love it over there. You said over a year ago that you hoped to play for Barcelona someday. When in <laughs> your life did you start having a love for the club Barcelona that made you want to play there someday? I don't know. It was like as a kid. It was, you know, Messi, Ronaldo, and, you know, it was like Barcelona, Real Madrid. And I felt like, for me, Barcelona was always like the dream club for me. Also because of my idol, you know, he, he was playing for, uh, for Barcelona, like Ronaldinho. So just, yeah, it's just the biggest club. So, so much history, you know, so much good players. 
almost all the legends, you know, came from Real Madrid or Barcelona, you know. So it was just, just yeah. I think it's because of that. Really special. You said Ronaldinho was your idol. Why Ronaldinho? Because of the way he plays. He he, he makes the like the the sport beautiful. You know, like the skills, the flair he has. It's like like I enjoy it so much to watch him play. You know, it's so nice. And I know, I know. I think you could could have done more in his career. You know, if he was more serious. But I feel like I'm still enjoying the time. You know, he played on the pitch because. Even when he didn't, that's my opinion. I don't know how it is, you know, because I don't know him personal. But even when he didn't get his full potential, I guess, uh, he was still like, for me, for me, it's still the best, you know. Yeah. I mean, Ronaldinho from 2004 to 2006 at, at the height of his powers was one of the best players of all time. So you play with Lionel Messi now. What was it like when you first met Lionel Messi? Um, when I first met Lionel Messi, it was... It was yeah, it was a really special moment, you know, because um, yeah, it was just like he was in a gym and I was just coming into the gym and I looked at my right and I saw him, you know, but he he cannot speak English, so that's too bad. But I'm learning Spanish, so I will get there. <laughs> yeah. How how does Messi communicate with you about what he wants on the field? It's a little bit hard. <laughs> but like in soccer you you just have to know you know like if you're like giving some signs with your hands you will know what to do a couple more questions here appreciate you taking the time you had a good game personally in el clasico against real madrid even though barcelona Thank didn't you. win the game um what will you remember most about your first game against real madrid for barcelona um what do i remember the most I don't know, to be honest, that I had a good game. <laughs> I think that's it. Because, um, yeah, it was nice to play against Real Madrid, you know, like you saw them on TV also. And it was also, actually, also my first time playing against Real Madrid because in the youth, I never played against Real Madrid. So that's that many more to come. Yeah, obviously. Uh, for my last question, I'm curious to know, what do you want to achieve in your career? What do I want to achieve in my career? Um, I want to reach my full potential. You know, um, for me, like it's a it's a team sport. You know, like I don't really have have to win individual prizes, but I mean, I just want to have to get a statement. You know, yeah, I just want to have a statement like that people will remember me in a good way. You know, like if if I'm retired with soccer, they will be like, oh, that right back was so good. You know, he was technical. He was fast it was good you know that's just something i want to create but other than that i i don't really do it for the prices or something like only like team prices you know serginio dest in the u.s men's national team take on wales thursday at 2 45 p.m eastern on fs1 through the na and unimas serginio thank you so much for coming on the show no problem this episode is brought to you by a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatiz, F-A-N-A-T-I-Z. And you can watch all the action in Spain's La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatiz app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Portugal, Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Plus, Fanatis has the Copa Libertadores with some terrific round of 16 matchups starting soon. 
Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more. And it only costs $7.99 a month. Over the next week, Fanatis also has pay-per-view broadcasts of the intense CONMEBOL Qatar 22 qualifiers, which for me are the most entertaining qualifiers on the planet. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Now, here's my interview with Commonwealth President Alejandro Dominguez. Our guest now is Alejandro Dominguez. He's from Paraguay, and he is the president of CONMEBOL, the South American Soccer Confederation. Alejandro, thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, actually, I'm, I'm the one that I have to thank you for inviting me, uh, for being here today with you and talk about soccer, football, as we say here in South America, to all the viewers and uh, the football soccer lovers. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with soccer and the sport, but I want to start by asking you about something else. You spent time at the University of Kansas, and <laughs> I'm from Kansas originally myself and was a huge Kansas Jayhawks fan growing up. I'm curious, how did you end up at KU? Well, it's a funny story to tell, but I'm a Jayhawker and... Um... Everything started when I graduated from high school. Um, there is a partnership between the state of Kansas and Paraguay. So students that go from Paraguay to Kansas, they will pay in-state tuition. Hmm. And I had uh, four other friends that they, we were very close friends, uh, high school friends, that they decided before me that they would go to Kansas. So I had the chance to go to either Kansas or Washington in where, in where my, my brother, my eldest brother was studying at the American University. But then I didn't know much about uh, geography. So <laughs> I had to make the, cho the choice of being with my brother or with my friends. And uh, I, I made the, the right decision, not because I, I, I really love my brother. And let me tell you, I'll be, I'll be very honest. Washington, D.C. is one of the beautiest city I, I, I know, but I had the time of my life in, in, in Lawrence, Kansas. So if I had to, if, if I have to go back and make the, the, the choice again, there is uh, no question. I will go back. I will go for sure to Kansas. Fantastic. I think it's really cool. Lawrence, Kansas is a very fun city. I hope you got to the wheel at some point. Uh, during your time there, and and as I understand it, you still you have children who still attend the University of Kansas. Both my my eldest one, my 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 son, he is at uh, the journalism school, and my daughter, she will major in psychology, and they both choose uh, Kansas. I mean, they wanted to go to KU. Fantastic. Well, and I did not push them, but I'm happy <laughs> because now I have the ex the excuse I need to to go back and uh and and have this feeling of of uh remembering the good times it's something that uh is 
maybe not expected for the Commonwealth president to have gone to school <laughs> at, at, at the University of Kansas. Um, you became the Commonwealth president in 2016. What did you do before that? Well, I, uh, I always worked. I started working very early in my life. Uh, then I came, became to be a CEO of a media group, and uh, which is very, uh, uh, very, and highly demanded work, demanding work. Uh, I was really stressed. Then the, I sold all the media group, and I made a promise to my wife, which I couldn't keep it, but I did my promise. I told her that I was not going to get involved in in in, in our kind of. Uh, uh, responsibilities that would make me be or leave that kind of stress, but that that uh, that was not uh, the case. I mean, it, I, I couldn't stand it for for a long time, and all of a sudden, uh, everything happened. This FIFA gate happened, and uh, there were only three people or three guys that were not uh, involved by then, and uh, I was. I thought I could, uh, well, I never thought I was going to become president of Commonwealth, first of all. I never thought that this was going to happen. So all of a sudden it happened. And I thought it was a good time for me to uh, take the chances and try to change the the real situation to a better situation. Yeah, And I, mean... I didn't do it alone. I did it with a whole big team of uh, professionals Okay. from seven countries. Okay. Seven nationalities. And so your connection to the sport of, of football, of soccer, how, how, long, how did that connection happen in the first place? Well, actually, my father started. He was, first of all, a well, long time ago, he was a basketball player. Then he was a coach, a basketball coach. And then after that, he became to be president of a team here, Olympia. And um, that's how I started uh, loving Football, soccer. I uh, I played football, not professionally, but I, I love to play football, soccer, and uh, I started very soon uh, together with my father, being first uh, fan. Then after I became vice president, president for a while. Then I jumped to be president of the uh, national Paraguayan national federation. I only stayed there for one year because, as as you know, and as I mentioned before. Uh, this FIFA gate happened, and all of a sudden, I could be—I had the chance to to become president of uh, of Commel. So I, I was always linked to football. You mentioned FIFA gate. Obviously, that was a very big news story. Uh, you got some good news recently with the return by Swiss authorities of thirty-seven million dollars in seized money to Conmebol that yeah. had been part of the U.S. investigation into soccer corruption. What is the significance? You know, what does that $37 million mean for Conmebol? Please allow me to um, tell you that it's not only $37 million. And in this particular case, has nothing to do with what is going on uh, in, uh, in, in New York, in, in, in DOJ, with DOJ. Okay. This is more than $37 million. We are talking about $55 million. Hmm. So what happened is that me, when I became to be president, I made a, a decision on having a forensic audit. It took us a while to have the outcome of this forensic audit information. We had a Congress in 2017 in Chile. The Congress gave me the mandate to do all possible things to recover money. 
and that's how we started to uh, uh, together with not only with the U.S. justice, but but also with uh, with the Swiss Switzerland Swiss justice, Brazilian justice, Argentina, and others other countries that also requested our information. We started working with them, and uh, it was hard to know because there were these. Um, some of the accounts were under the names of these former uh, uh, president or officials, but other were under some other names, fantasy names. Mm-hmm. So it took us a really long time to identify all these accounts. And then throughout the time, we could frozen those accounts. And after that, we got to, um, through our lawyers, to the family that were expecting to inherit that money. And uh, that's how we jumped from $37 million to $55 million. They had to also return money that were in banks here in Paraguay. They had accounts in banks in Paraguay and they returned $60 million. And funny thing is that I announced uh, two weeks ago, it was $53 million. But during that time and today, we found out that there were there were 1.5 million dollars more under uh, another fantasy name account. So it's a total of 55 million dollars that we recover, and uh, I feel happy. I, I I'm very I'm, I'm very great. I mean, have gratitude with all the people that supported us during this time. It wasn't it wasn't uh, a fair fight. <laughs> uh, it took us some uh, decisions that, that uh, even put some, some things at risk, not to say life, but uh, there were decisions that they were had to be taken and we did it and I have no regrets. We are the only confederation in the world that uh, recover money from these people. And we are still expecting that DOJ will get more money and we'll send it back to Comeo. When we talk about money and, and Comeville, we're not talking that that money belongs to Comeville. The money truly belongs to the national associations, belongs to the teams, and furthermore, they, it belongs to the players. So what will that money go toward now? Well, we had uh, some... some uh, some things that we did not expect to happen, like Redo uh, uh, Globo and the zone that owned the rights for Brazil, they, that they unilaterally uh, finished their contract, meaning that this year we'll, we'll, we will have at least less than $50 million that we already budgeted. So my first thought, and actually part of it, is already... $60 million, $16 million is already part of the reserves that Comel has for the first time ever in the history of football in South America. Comel never had reserves. I thought of sending everything to reserves, but now we have to uh, cover this big hole that left, uh, though we are uh, now already having a file complaint against uh, Globo and the zone in, in Switzerland for uh, the restitution. We think that they, they have to pay for not complying with, uh, with the contract. I'm wondering, how do you view the United States justice system and the impact that it has had on so much in FIFA and 
in soccer governance around the world since 2015? Well, I have a, 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 an answer for you. If it wasn't for them, I would never be president of Comebol. So you were not going to be t- talking to me. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, has it... I, I know that after the U.S. investigation, Conmebol, like FIFA, like CONCACAF, changed its regulations and created more transparency. Uh, in what ways does Conmebol do things differently now? Well, we did it with me uh, being president. All of the other cases were different. They separated the president, they changed the statutes, the bylaws, and then they elected the president. That was not my case. I made the decision. I made a task force group that worked in the ideal uh, status for 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 Colmebol, and then we pass it on to the Congress. And I I would define it that the former statute would was created to defend the officials from the organization, so they would do anything they wanted. And we change it. And now we have a statute that would defend the organization from the officials. So now we are accountable for what we do. And I'm wondering, have you been able to to push to extend those reforms to the individual national federations inside Conmebol as well? There is this uh, cascade effect and, 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 and it will happen. And it is happening. So I'm positive that it will change the, the present and the future of football in South America. I, uh, I, uh, I am very uh, optimistic that will be much better than it is already. I want to ask you about women's football. I, what are some things yeah. that Conmebol that is doing for women's football and investment in growing the women's game in South America? Well, we passed... Two years ago, the club license, which is tied to the money we give to uh, the teams and the national associations. So they have to work really hard to have uh, grassroots football, women's grassroots football, and also to have their teams, professional teams, and their leagues. So we are pushing really hard. And uh, let me share with you a funny story, which is only funny story. It's not a, a very big deal. When we had this meeting this past February at uh, at uh, uh, UEFA's headquarters, we were there together, and they were surprised because we we had a lot a lot of uh, women in, in in our group of working, and they thought that that was uh, because we had a policy. And truth truth is that we don't have a policy. We only care about uh, capacity and. Uh, Half of the people that work here is women and the other half of the people are men. And um, that's the way we, we think. And um, I'm, I, I'm, I don't like South America not to win in any kind of ways that it plays football. So one of my challenges is that uh, South America has to also fight for winning the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. And I'm also wondering, like, how much of a connection does Conmebol have, like, Right now, the, there's the federation in Colombia that fairly recently has had some allegations of improper behavior inside the Colombian National Federation. How does, how does CONMEBOL have 
a relationship or an influence in what's going on in that situation? We cannot get involved in the uh, in the uh, uh, national situations. I mean, we can only regulate the uh, the confederation. And uh, as far as we know, and uh, uh, our compliance people are following really uh, close what is going on, not only in Colombia, but all around South America. And as far as we don't get nothing that would show us above all uh, doubts that there are things that there that should be punished, we are not in a situation to do uh, much about it. And let me tell you, Sometimes being an official, and I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not defending anybody, but I'm saying the truth. Being an official in football or soccer, uh, expose yourself to many uh, uh, attacks, sometimes with not, uh, not, not founded. They just attack because, I don't know, there are many uh, things that move people to, to make uh, attacks. I suffered a lot. My family suffered a lot of attacks because I was fighting to recover $55 million. And they, they, they that said a lot of things about me and my family. And uh, that's the way it is. So you have a Copa America coming in June. Um, at one point, Carlos Cordero, the former president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, was trying to push for another combined Copa America like the one we had for the Centenario in 2016. Mm -hmm. But Conmebol said no. What was Cordero trying to propose and why did Conmebol not want to do it? No, well, let me start by saying that uh, I will rephrase your question. Okay. Because it's not right. <laughs> okay, we fill did me not in. say no. <laughs> what Carlos Cordero Cordero's did was not right. So he's my personal friend. We are very close friends. I spoke to him last week or two weeks ago, but uh, he is, he was president of a national association, not a confederation president. So any kind of offers should come through the confederation to another confederation. So that, that didn't happen. We don't think, and I, am, I, I believe that uh, the smart thing to do is to get together both confederations and um, think about uh, Copa America, a joint Copa America. But there are some issues that have to be solved before that. And if those issues, which I consider not minors, are not solved, it is really hard to, go, to move uh, for, forward uh, with the, this uh, proposal. What are some of those issues? I would not be in a position to tell you publicly, <laughs> but are issues that uh, that uh, they have to be uh, issues that I would not uh, negotiate. I mean, for me, uh, the process of rights, uh, selling rights has to be through an open bidding process and not giving anyone any uh, preference. And that is one big issue. So if that doesn't happen, we cannot go there. And, uh, and many other issues. We had to recover the, our, our, our brand. Our brand was uh, registered by, by US Soccer or CONCACAF. And Copa America is the, the, the international national tournament, the eldest one in the world. So it's like we would uh, register here in Con Conable and NBA 
I mean, there were some issues. Those issues are over. We resolved it. We solved it friendly. But there were many other things that we have to, we still have to work through if we, uh, if we believe this is the right decision to do, which I, I believe it is. So it's not on our side, it's in their side. Okay. Do you think we could see at some point in the future another combined Copa America potentially in 2024? Well, I see the potential to do it. But then again, we have to be open, open book and be transparent and do it all together. And uh, that has to be for the good of football. For October and November's World Cup qualifiers, the Eliminatorias, uh, Camobal decided to go ahead and play the games. And so those took place last month. We have more coming uh, this week. Tomorrow and and Friday. And then Tuesday, Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, And honestly, these are the best games in the world with the most at stake during the FIFA international window. I love watching the, the eliminatorias. Um, I, I guess the question I would have is because of the virus, you mm-hmm. know, like we had some positive tests last month uh, here in the United States, Raul Ruiz Diaz, the player from Peru tested positive and, you know, he missed mm-hmm. some games for his club in Seattle um, other confederations like CONCACAF, they, they canceled their World Cup qualifiers uh, for this time. Why, in your opinion, did Ball insist on playing the qualifiers last month and this month? Actually, because we worked for it. We did our professional work, and the outcome of our work is positive. And let me tell you, and let tell everybody that uh, that we had less than two percent of infections among the population of players that are playing either Copa America, uh, Copa Libertadores, Sudamericana, or qualifiers. So it is very safe the way we prepared the the bubbles in which we uh, bring and uh, and uh, the way the, the the our players come from Europe mostly of our players come from, from Europe and they, they, they live in a bubble. And it has, has shown that it's a, it, a, it is a very safe way to, uh, it's, it's very safe to say it in a simple way. This podcast comes out tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday. It comes out on Thursday. We've got Eliminatorias Thursday and Friday and, and then Tuesday. Uh, I'm gonna be watching these games. Here's my only question though. It costs a lot more money in the U.S. now to watch the Ball qualifiers on pay-per-view than it did in the last cycle. And we're having to pay $30 a game to, to see. And, and there's a lot of fans here who are, you know, who are actually willing to do that, but it's expensive. Is, is the, the pay-per-view situation going to continue that way for the rest of this cycle, uh, or is there a chance it might change? I have no answer for that. I'm, I'm sorry and I apologize that it is expensive, expensive for you guys to watch it, but it's uh, worth a while to, to pay and see the best football of the world. And then I wanted to ask about, it, it seems like from what I have read more recently, uh, that your relate your relationship these days is better with the UEFA president Alexander Seferin than it might be with the FIFA president Johnny Infantino. Um, 
Is that the case? I've read that Infantino has recently contacted some of your member nations directly without going through the Confederation. What's going on there? Is it, it, do you have any issues to repair? Actually, I don't have issues uh, with him talking to our presidents. I think that that's, uh, that's uh, something he has to do. Uh, yes, we got closer to UEFA because I believe we are, there are a lot of things that we can learn out of them. They are by far the most professional football organization in the world. And um, I have a very good relationship with Alexander. And I think that we can also help them uh, understand a lot about football and the way it develops football here in South America. So I would say it's a win-win situation for us. It's not against anybody. Uh, and it, 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 it is something that should have happened a long time ago. And for many years, we have talked about the possibility of clubs from the United States someday playing in the Copa Libertadores. I, I remember looking at some uh, Sports Illustrated stories from the 1970s about the New York Cosmos and even back in the 1970s, there were stories talking about, oh, maybe the Cosmos will... There were two outstanding players from Paraguay that played at Cosmos. You remember who, who I'm talking about? From Paraguay? It was Romerito and Cabañas. Yes. They both played at Cosmos. There were some fantastic players in, in the NASL back in the 70s. I wish I had been around for that. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, they were... We were talking about this in the 1970s, about the Cosmos potentially playing in Libertadores. It's never happened. In your opinion, is there ever any chance that clubs from the United States could play in Libertadores? Doors are open, but they have to come through the Confederation. Doors are open for them, for Mexico. Doors are open. They know, they know that we had Mexicans teams playing until 2016. I don't know why they did go. They they decided to go. It's something I never understood. But I think that uh, the good of football is that it could help us unite people, get together, and share more than experiences, know people. And it's for the good of football. I totally am very uh, convinced that it would be good for, for both uh, parties, for both sides. And do you think you could get CONCACAF to be okay with it? Well, that's a good question to make, uh, to ask uh, Victor Montigliani. (laughs) We'll have him on the podcast soon. How about that? (laughs) Let me know when, so I will watch the the interview. (laughs) My last question for you, and I I appreciate you taking this much time. Uh, What are the most important things that you want Conneball to achieve in the next five years or the next 10 years? Well, I want Carnival to be a professional organization. I want Carnival to really work to develop football all around South America. And uh, I want Carnival to get back to where it has... I mean, I want Carnival to be a prestige organization. Alejandro Dominguez is the president of Carnival. He's an alum of the University of Kansas as well. Alejandro, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm also a fan of uh, the Chiefs. Ah, yes. Good man. The Super Bowl (laughs) champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks for mentioning that. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you can do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Serginio Dest and Alejandro Dominguez, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. We'll be right back. 